Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I am a nutrition and exercise physiology professor, and I'm a bodybuilding enthusiast. Hey, folks. Rob Fortis Fortney. I'm getting over another cold, <clears throat> and I'm a journalist. Used to be a Muscle Mag International editor. Used to be competitive bodybuilder. Now I'm a powerlifter, strength training enthusiast. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a competitive powerlifter, Highland Games athlete, and strength coach. I run Strength Guild and LiveForHope.org. Awesome. And today we have a guest who's um, both bodybuilder and scientist, and I'm, I'm going to leave some of his origin story to him, of course, but uh, Dr. Darren Willoughby, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, yeah, let's just get started with that. Um, listeners, just so you uh, sort of have a grasp, Darren is not only huge <laughs> in the best way, he's also... Um, what I would consider a more on the molecular side of uh, muscle physiology. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious myself as to how you got into these sorts of things. So both athletically and academically, when did you begin all this, Darren? Actually, it goes back to, you know, when I, uh, when I was a boy, um, having a love for, for sports, um, being very, very involved in sports uh, as I grew up. Uh, my favorite sport, uh, was, was football and I guess still is other than, you know, bodybuilding and, uh, and strength training and such. And, you know, particularly in high school, li- uh, beginning to lift weights for conditioning for football, you know, I really enjoyed it. And, um, you know, I, I really was fascinated by, you know, how my body responded, um, to weight training. Um, and, you know, in addition to that, just as an exercise physiologist also, I, I was always fascinated simply by the, how my, my and my teammates, you know, bodies responded as well. You know, our coaches were always screaming at us to, you know, we got to get you guys in shape. We got to get you guys in shape. And then, yeah. you know, they would start running us and, and doing all sorts of uh, um, punishing things. And then before too long, you know, we we for the most part adapted quite well and so you know for me i was always uh extremely interested uh in that and um and then um just began to become very interested from the standpoint i guess from more of a scientific perspective i remember in high school you know my favorite my favorite subject happened to be science uh biology particularly or anything that kind of dealt with you know, with the cell and how the cell worked. And, and, and so, you know, when I went to, when I went to college and was playing football in college and still lifting and still, um, you know, in college, because when I was in high school, I, I came from a very, a very small, very small school. Uh, but in college, you know, our, our lifting, um, our lifting agenda, and our lifting protocol was much more uh, was much more elaborate and much more comprehensive, and so I got I got even more uh, interested in in that relative to different ways of training, and you know because our high school coaches their knowledge was was limited. I, you know I realize now they did the they did the best they could with what they knew, but sure. when I got into college, you know, started being um, exposed to. To, uh, to different strategies in lifting. And of course, you know, a lot of my teammates were from, from larger schools and had much more elaborate backgrounds in lifting and exposure. And so I just began to develop kind of this, this, uh, um, I guess this somewhat cornucopia, if you will, of, of, of knowledge relative to different ways of training and, and how, how my body responded to that. And, um, and then when I when I quit playing when I quit playing football, you know I, I realized that I, I I needed to occupy a void, you know, relative to where 
uh, playing football was. And so, and I enjoyed lifting a lot. And so I just continued to, to start lifting. And of course, being able to lift every day and, uh, you know, and not necessarily have to kind of put my lifting on the, on the back burner during a football season, for instance. Right. Then, um, you know, then I started to make really, really, really good gains and, and, uh, and really good consistent gains. And so obviously I was enjoying that and became very fascinated. And then a friend of mine, um, I, I remember brought over, uh, some, uh, brought to my room some, um, um, is, uh, issues of muscle and fitness. And I, you know, I'd really never seen too much, uh, of, of that. And I remember seeing pictures of like, you know, Robbie Robinson and Casey Vider. And of course, you know, Arnold was kind of, you know, uh, towards the end of his, uh, towards the end of his reign, but you know, Mike Mincer and, and, uh, you know, some of these, some of these guys that, uh, you know, shortly thereafter, you know, Lee Haney began his, uh, began his run. And so, I, you know, the, I, I became extremely fascinated with, with that. And, you know, and a lot of my friends, a lot of my friends were into powerlifting. I did that a little bit and, you know, I enjoyed it, but I also enjoyed the bodybuilding side of it because I, you know, I, I like the, I kind of like the nutrition piece as well, even though way back then I really was relatively clueless as to kind of what, you know, what, what constituted really good sound nutrition. And so, from there, I just, you know, I began to, to continue in bodybuilding and, and, and competed for, you know, for a number of years and then, and then continued to be very fascinated and, and become even more fascinated with, with the body physiology and, and, uh, um, you know, human physiology, uh, exercise physiology. So at that point in time, I, I you know, I, I, I heard of a field called exercise physiology. You have to understand this was, you know, back in the, uh, you know, mid eighties, I guess. So exercise physiology was just beginning to start to really become somewhat popular. So, I and you know, Darren, I was just going to say, I think it was, um, there was such an aerobic endurance athlete focus back then. Do you remember? I mean, if you were into resistance training of any kind, you were sort of a oddball. In yes. exercise physiology yes. back then. Yeah, you know, you know what? It, it, <laughs> exactly. Uh, it, it's it's kind of interesting because I, I remember when I uh, when I went to grad school to start working on my PhD at at, um, at Texas A and M. I remember there was uh, there was there was one um, PhD student who was about halfway done, uh, and as I came in, you know, I remember, and he was, you know, he was this kind of aerobic endurance guy. And I, I remember, you know, I, I showed up and I remember he looked at me and he said, what are you, what are you doing here? I'm like, well, I'm, I'm here yeah. to start the PhD program. And he, I remember him looking at me and said, um, he goes, you don't look like an exercise physiology funny. student. And, uh, I'm like, well, what is an exercise physiology student supposed to look like? And so he really didn't have a good answer for that. So, you know, you're, you're exactly right. You know, it's kind of, and I've been kind of bucking the stereotype ever since to some extent. So, right. and then, you know, and then in grad school, I just began, just started becoming just extremely voracious relative to my, my appetite for my, um, for, for knowledge, just being able to learn as much as I could. And, you know, and I got to the point where, you know, the physiology was great. It still is, but I really, you know, Lonnie, I really had the passion to try to learn as much as I could exactly what's going on inside the cell that actually causes, you know, all of these different types of physiological adaptations to occur. And so that's when I really began to start to delve in the biochemistry aspect. And then I realized that, you know, there was another level and, and that level, you know, was at the molecular level. So, you know, I hooked up with a couple of professors there and started and, and started learning uh, molecular biology and, you know, molecular genetics uh, uh, information and started working in their labs and learning some of those techniques so that I could, you know, so that I could try to, to best understand as, as best I could um, kind of an overall comprehensive view and approach at how how particularly skeletal muscle, because, you know, within exercise physiology, I always kind of specialize more in muscle physiology, mm -hmm. but understanding how, you know, how skeletal muscle uh, responded to exercise, particularly resistance exercise, and a result, you know, what were some of the regulatory 
uh, factors, regulatory mechanisms that, uh, you know, that, uh, that result in muscle hypertrophy and also in, in muscle atrophy as well, you know, to, to, to better understand maybe how to, how to attenuate that process, you know, with nutrition right. or training and so on and so forth. And so, and then that's also when I, I began to become extremely uh, interested in nutrition as well. I was already interested in nutrition, but I began to start becoming much more interested in it in a much more academic, uh, academic um, realm. And so, you know, because I wanted to be able to, 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 to put all of those together uh, to be able to better understand the best I could. And not only that, I mean, part of it was to do, and I, and I, I know you'll understand, I know all you guys will understand when I say this, is that, you know, I spent most of my life kind of being my own, my own guinea pig. And so, you know, a lot of my passion has come from just my own experience, um, in, in, particularly in the gym. And so, uh, you know, and that continues to, to this very day. As a matter of fact, I'm competing in a bodybuilding contest on Saturday. Oh, you are? Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, so right now I, I you know, I, I'm starting to, uh, uh, restrict uh, water and a lot of other things, uh, and so I can start drying up a bit. And so it's, uh, I'll start, I'll start, uh, I'll start carving up a bit tonight. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, um, I, I'm looking forward to it. You know, I just, I enjoy doing it just because I can. <laughs> I yeah. love a lot of the guys that I went to went to high school with, and uh, yeah, you know, they've already checked out. So. You know, the fact that I still can, I, I enjoy that. You know, it's like, you know, people are saying, well, you know, I hope you win everything else. I said, well, you know, that would be nice. But that's not, to be honest, that's not really why I'm doing it. I do it just because I enjoy it. I mean, I look at, you know, lifting and bodybuilding particularly, I always refer to it as a human chess match. And, you know, and all the different pieces, training and how, you know, all the different training variables and then all in diet and all the different ways to manipulate the diet. I mean, they, those are all the different chess pieces, you know, and how you move them and the, just uh, at the right time and everything else is when all the things start to fall into place. And, you know, uh, so Darren, it, let me ask you. So I, I honestly, I didn't know you were still actively competing. When was the last time that you competed? Um, I, the last time I competed, well, I competed, a lot during the um, during the 80s um, and towards the end of the 80s, I'd gotten myself to where I had qualified for for national level competition, but I never went because at that point, you know, I just I'd been I'd been competing a lot and I was kind of burned out and I was kind of at a point where I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my with my career and so that's you know I decided just to take. Uh, a vacation from competition, not training, but competition. And that's when I went to grad school. And then I came back and started competing again in 09. So I'd been, I, I hadn't competed in about almost 20 years. And oh, then, wow. Okay. Yeah. I just decided, like I said, I'd, I'd never quit training. I just decided I wanted to start competing again, you know, and compete in, you know, Jared, you know, in some ways, I think Rob and I identify with you because Rob and I will, We'll sort of come out of the shadows and decide to compete every several years, you know. And yeah. um, actually, it, yeah, it's it's kind of fun when you when you get a little older. Now, are, are you're in your early forties then, or mid forties no, now? Or? Actually, um, I, I, I'm I guess forty eight and a half. I'll be forty nine oh, in December. Okay. So 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 the masters competitions will be a, a new flavor for you. But you're going to do open too, I'm sure. Yeah, the last time I competed was in '09. I came back and I competed in a in a in a um a show in Austin it was a national qualifier but i mean i but i competed i competed in the masters division 40 to 49 and then also said what the heck so i entered the open division and i as as a super heavyweight and um and um uh i missed qual i'm in the open division i missed qualifying qualifying for the nationals by one placing so i got uh. i got third in the open super heavyweight I think I got third, third in the masters division, um, you know, and so it, it was, uh, you know, it was, and, and to be honest, I was in decent shape, but I wasn't in great shape. I had a lot of other things going on in my life at that time that were kind of, that, um, that were some pretty significant stressors, 
I no longer have those distractions anymore. So, uh, so right. getting ready for this show has been, uh, has been a lot more enjoyable and it's been a lot easier to do, uh, because I don't have all those other stressors and that drama in my life that, uh, you know, that, are such a distraction so right i'll tell you darren i'm glad to get you on the show because you're what uh we've been calling for years on this show a lifer right it's in your nature to do these things like bodybuilding is part of your nature you're right i'll never stop brother the only time (laughs) the only time i'm that i'm not that i'm not (laughs) still around is when they're kicking dirt in my face there you go so and um uh, you know, and you're exactly, you're exactly right. And, and, you know, some people don't realize this, but also I started back about, um, about 15, 16 years ago. I started back playing semi-pro football. So I played semi-pro football, full contact semi-pro football, uh, for about 10 years. Amen. See, there's no way, there's no reason you can't do these things as a grown up. That's right. right? And I, that's, right. that's right. And, uh, and I retired from doing that, I guess, if you will, after my season, after I turned 43. And so, you know, it's, to be honest with you, I still feel like I could do it now. It's just that, you know, hell, I got tired of being unbelievably sore and banged up all the time because, <laughs> you know, I, those things don't heal quite as quickly as they used, as they used to. So, uh, but anyway, and, you know, that, that was enjoyable, but, uh, you know, it's the bodybuilding and, and, um, and, you know, and the time in the gym that, that, that I'm unbelievably passionate about. And just like you guys, I mean, it, it, you know, there's not a time that, that I won't be doing it if, you know, if in fact that I can do it. Um, you know, cause, uh, and the other thing is that I, I don't, you may or may not remember, Lonnie, it was last, it was, it was June of, uh, 2011. I ruptured my, my right bicep. And so I had to have it surgically reattached. Okay. I, 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 I tore it from the, um, at the tendon, at the, at the, at the distal, uh, at the insertion. So I had to have it surgically reattached. So, you know, I, I couldn't, it, it took a full year before I was able to start going up basically 100% again. So I didn't know how long it was going to be before I could really get in the groove. And You're a good company. A couple of us yeah. had some, some yeah, complete tendon yeah, ruptures. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It, was, it was, and you know what, you know what, the, sur- you know, the rupture and the surgery and all that, that wasn't that big a deal. The hardest part for me, and I know all three of you can understand very, very well and identify with this, was not being able to go into the gym and train. That just, you know, I, I, I started going into the gym anyway just to do something. I went in. And I bet started, your legs got huge. <laughs> I, I just went in and started doing, you know, leg uh, work. Right? Yeah, yeah, you know, unilateral work, thinking right. that you know that would help minimize my 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 uh, immobilized side from atrophying as much, and was doing legs and and cardio as much as I hated doing cardio, just to be able to do something, you know, so I wasn't sitting around not doing anything. I had to do something. It was just. That that was that was driving me nuts. So, you know, I'll tell my, you, Darren. Let me. Um, how tall are you? Before we move on, I, I hate to keep harping on your your physical um, status because we really want to dig into your brain in the second half of the sure, show. But, so sure. you say you're a super heavyweight. How tall are you? I'm five ten. Boom. Yeah. Okay, I just wanted listeners to know <laughs> to get an idea that I I've always considered you um, what I would call national caliber. I, I'm five. I'm five ten, and I should right now. Um, right now, I um, I'm I'm weighing just below two fifty, and uh, my body fat's like about a seven percent. So, um, so yeah. So I I should I should weigh in tomorrow night around or just a bit below about two fifty. So very nice. Okay. So. Well, I'll tell you what, listeners. Uh, we are going to take a very brief break. Uh, and then when we come back, uh, we're going to have our topic of the day, which it really kind of relates to the, the top five, um, it, well, mostly in Darren's opinion, but we can all discuss this, um, biggest uh, muscle hypertrophy discoveries uh, from the science world, because I know Darren probably won't toot his own horn. So, I mean, Dr. Willoughby, not only is he a high-level competitive bodybuilder and obviously a, a Ph.D., but he's a fellow of the American College of Sports Medicine and a fellow of the International Society of Sports Nutrition. He's a certified sports nutritionist. I mean, he has a true alphabet soup after his name here, directing, you know, uh, molecular um, sort of exercise physiology laboratory activities. So 
we really want to tap into his uh, science side, and we'll be back in just a minute. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, You can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, It's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So... Uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. I can't stop feeling Some of us don't understand How lucky we are To be living in this Hi listeners, this is Rob Fortress Fortney. I'm here to remind you that as the holiday season approaches and your thoughts turn to giving, we like you to keep Iron Rated in your thoughts. Every week for four years now, it's been our privilege to bring you weekly news, experts, and gym talk. Did you know that now roughly 20,000 brothers and sisters of Iron count on us for these things? Of course, not everyone can afford to be a supporting member or a significant one-time donor. But for those of you willing to pitch in $4 per month or $50 just once, we're about to sweeten the deal. Become a supporting member or major donor between now and January 2013, and a limited number of you will receive a gift worth over $20. And we will never forget our existing supporters. Simply email me via ironradio.org, and I'll send you a free seminar from Dr. Lowry on how to significantly and realistically boost your testosterone levels. Help your iron brothers and sisters who cannot pitch in but deserve better internet programming in our sports. And happy holidays. Hello, Iron Radio listeners. This is Dr. Lowry. I just want to offer an update on the Protein and Resistance exercise book that you hear about in ads at the end of the show. The publisher and I realize that the textbooks have become expensive. This one's $99. So individual electronic chapters have been made available for $20. US As with Iron Radio, my primary drive here is to get valid, reliable information into the hands of fellow lifters. So if you simply Google CRC Press Protein, you'll find the page where the book is sold. By clicking on ebook purchase at the right, you'll be taken to a page with free introductory parts of the book, as well as each chapter in electronic PDF format. There's also links uh, to other sources in this version. So whether you're interested in an academic heavy hitter like Dr. Peter Lemon sharing protein's history and strength training, or you're a biochem nerd like me and you want to just look at chapter 2 on protein synthesis and breakdown, or if you want to cut to the chase and get to a chapter on using protein weight control or case studies, you can now do so for just 20 bucks. So please check out CRC Press Protein and see which chapter topic may interest you. Thanks. Weekly Fix of Iron Radio. In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. And we're back. Um, we're actually talking today with Dr. Darren Willoughby, who's a, a muscle physiologist on the molecular side of things, and I thought it would be good to tap his uh, gray matter here about uh, the top five, what he considers the top five um, biggest discoveries in muscle science, hypertrophy, sports nutrition, uh, those, those sorts of things. And maybe even we can ask, uh, as we talk about this, we can ask, Darren, about some of his own research, because I know he's done some fascinating work with dietary supplements and muscle physiology and things like that as well. 
So, uh, without getting too chewy, you know, too deep into this, because if listeners, uh, if you don't know Dr. Willoughby, he can uh, he can go very deep with this stuff. So we're going to try to keep this fairly uh, light uh, and get to some of the biggest things. But so, um, what do you think, uh, Dr. Willoughby? Top five biggest hypertrophy discoveries. Can, does anything come to your mind first? I'll have to preface it by saying that, you know, I base, you know, like like you and like many other scientists, I mean, I, I base my opinions uh, mostly on, you know, what's been what's been done, what uh, what what's been shown in the literature, uh, what studies and, and how they've been carried out and how they've been conducted and so on and so forth and being able to compare similarities and dissimilarities in studies and study outcomes as much as possible to be able to try to get some type of an idea as to, you know, if supplements have any type of effectiveness or not with that. And so, you know, that being said is that a lot of the, you know, a lot of the supplements on the market are untapped relative to having any data associated with them whatsoever. Uh, and, I, and I guess I should no. Having, really? having any relevant data, you know, particular <laughs> human data that, uh, you know, that, that is, that, uh, that is relevant enough so that that particular supplement, you know, is tested, uh, you know, within the realms of specificity as, as a strength athlete, uh, you know, would use the supplement. So that being, <clears throat> that being said, as I, I, I probably will also say that I'm, you know, even though I, I'm involved in sport nutrition and in uh, sport nutritionist and so on and so forth, you know, I'm not a huge advocate for for uh, for supplements per se. But based on the answer to your question, I, I would say one is just simply uh, is, is protein. You know, whey protein, based on the number of studies that have been done and and. Uh, uh, you know, either in more uh, acute single bout types of settings uh, resi- with a resistance exercise, or even more, uh, tr- you know, training based studies looking at, you know, looking at effects on um, uh, muscle protein synthesis, rates of mo- muscle protein synthesis. Um, you know, with some of the more um, uh, short acute bout types of studies. Um, being able to to see what uh, what the, what the protein and obviously being primarily more the amino acids contained within the protein, specifically the essential amino acids, and, and of that, of course, the branch chain amino acids, mm-hmm. and, and looking to and getting some type of an idea as to as to you know how those work is what I, I call anabolic triggers, so to speak, to be able to turn on muscle protein synthesis, and so. You know, and there's also a, a good number of very good training studies that have been done that actually, you know, that show that uh, that you know that whey can have a have a have a nice ergogenic effect. And so, you know, in that particular case, uh, you know, in terms of supplements per se, uh, then you know, I, th- I think um, you know, I think a, a, a good whey protein. Or well, let me ask you this, Darren. Then, uh, I, what's your take on? There seems to be a back and forth in the literature about the. The anabolic, you know, hyper amino acidemia kind of effects of whey, and whether that's better or worse compared to the slower casein. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly. What's your thought on that? Well, that and that was, in uh, that. Well, my thought is, is because um, I was gonna, I was gonna dovetail in with that relative to, you know, the role that casein can play as well, and that is, is that you know, I, I think, I think both types of protein can be good. Mm-hmm. Particularly if you, you know, if you're going to try to time them around, you know, around a workout because, uh, you know, you can try to take advantage of, of the more faster acting way, um, you know, either before or shortly thereafter a workout or perhaps maybe during as opposed to, you know, casing, which is going to be more, you know, more slower acting and, and um, give you more benefit over over the course of, uh, of a longer period of time. So a lot of times, you know, it seems that the way is, um, again, is, is good when it's kind of timed around, uh, around a workout, but, you know, maybe during the day between meals or whatever the case may be is that, you know, casein would be actually probably a better approach to take relative to that than, than, you know, than, uh, than a whey protein. But, 
And then, of course, now, based on that, you know, Jeff Stout and I did a study uh, and, and uh, published it a few years ago where we actually combined whey and casein, where we had a supplement that was 60% whey and 40% casein, you know, over the course of about 10 weeks of training and, and uh, you know, and showed it to have some, some you know, some pretty uh, pretty impressive results when we, com- you know, compared it to not simply whey or casein, we compared it to an isoenergetic load of carbohydrate. But nevertheless, there have been, you know, some studies done after that that were very similar, that showed very similar results. So it, now, hasn't, hasn't Jeff done some work with just milk? I mean, yeah, which is, yeah. a, you know, what, what that's 80-20 yeah. casein to whey or something? Yeah. He has, he has, um, he has. Matter of fact, uh, you may remember, um, you know, he gave a really nice talk last year, this past summer at ISSN about milk from the standpoint that, you know, and, and Jeff's, do, Jeff's done some studies and, and there have been others that have done some studies, you know, like, even with like chocolate milk saying milk is a, you know, is a, is a, is a very good, um, you know, is a very good approach to take to help to, uh, support muscle protein synthesis as well. And, um, and it may actually be more beneficial due to the fact that, you know, because of, because of the fact that it's more of a casein, casein based protein. So you're going to get, you're going to get longer lasting effects relative to, you know, the duration in which that type of protein can, can, uh, can work. So right. now isn't part of the mechanism there also because milk is so insulinogenic? I yeah, mean, yeah, that's got to be part of this, right? Yeah, 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 it is. You know, um, there are, you know, there are a handful of uh, amino acids that, you know, as you just as you just mentioned, will trigger, you know, trigger an insulin response, and so you've got you've got the insulin component that is uh, helping to upregulate or stimulate muscle protein synthesis, along with just you know the free amino acids as they're taken up in the muscle, being able to do it themselves and. Particularly the branch chain amino acids. So, uh, so yes, you're you're exactly right. It seems seems that you kind of get a, a kind of a uh, a summative effect of the two. Um, is, it's interesting that nature provides that, isn't I, it? <laughs> yeah. it? You know what it it it, uh, it it really is. And so, I've kind of in the back of my mind uh, known that to be the case relative to the effectiveness of milk for quite a while. I've just, you know, it's not one of those things. You know, Jeff was up there talking last summer about, you know, that's that's really cool stuff. I said, you know, hell, what I, why didn't I do that a while back? Right. It did seem like an obvious, you know, if you, I mean, I can imagine dietary supplement companies, a couple of them, you know, they like to engineer special in exactly a certain ratio of whey and casein. Oh, the whey is fast and the casein is slow. And, and that Jeff's, you know, showing data that maybe milk is better than a very mm-hmm. expensive, you know, engineered formula. And it's like, oh boy, milk, chocolate I milk, really? <laughs> I know. I, you know what? That's, that's, um, that's exactly right. And of course, I liked hearing that because I absolutely love milk. And so, um, it, it, it was definitely one thing that, uh, that I, that, you know, I certainly didn't mind hearing. And, you know, and I'm, I can't remember right offhand, Lonnie, you may know. And I know, uh, it's been a couple of years ago that some, um, somebody did a study and they actually did it, um, with chocolate milk and, um, showed a very similar effect, a very similar effect, but that also, they were talking about in that that there was even more of an additive effect based on that because of the the carbohydrate contribution you know from the you know from the sugar and stuff in there that to be able to sweeten it you know to sweeten up the chocolate milk mm-hmm. the actual additional carbohydrate in the chocolate milk you know was providing that additional um, insulogenic boost to um, you know to uh, to the muscle protein synthesis. Well, if, if I can bring Phil in on this, so, you know, Phil, this sounds like it supports kind of your approach all along, right? Which is enjoy food and lots of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, enjoy good real food. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. As, as opposed to you know, again, you know, it's funny when you try to improve on nature. Sometimes mm-hmm. that's a, a fool's errand in a sense. Now, I'm not saying that just because it's natural, it's good, and because it's synthetic, it's bad. Not at all. Yeah. But but at the same time, uh, or the way, you know, Rob, you, when you and I wrote that article, uh, gosh, it's been about a year or two ago now, but about yeah. crashing through barriers. You know how you yeah. purposely have to try to consume large amounts of stuff. And if you're ca- calculating down to the milligram of branch chain amino acid or something, and you're not just 
chugging milk. I mean, which one's more effective? Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that, you know what? That's a good point. And I agree with, with you guys, particularly, you know, um, and, um, and Phil as well, because, you know, I, I talk to, and I know you guys do as well, but, you know, I talk to so many, um, you know, younger guys or, or guys, you know, males or females relative to, you know, nutrition wise, particularly, you know, aspiring competitors. And I don't really, you know, it, I, and I guess it's just, I guess it's just the, 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 the media age that we live in and, and all the marketing and advertising. I mean, these people are just so lulled into just, just the idea that they have to be taking some type of actual supplement. <laughs> Darren, Rob and, brought and that the, up the, just a few weeks that, ago. Yep. Yeah, and that food, and that just simply just food, you know, are just, um, that we get in our diet is not, um, is, is not, Enough and 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 I, I think it's not I, sexy enough for exactly there, there you go and I try to tell them I said you know you here and a lot of times particularly you know I, I'll, I'll try to work around and avoid supplements just because you know that and also sometimes if you're talking about people that you know it's an additional cost and and you know they just don't it's so hard for them to grasp oh so you're saying that I don't really need to go out and buy all this this Right. Tub of this and tub yeah. of that. I'm like, no. Well, it's almost not, like not a, really. I, I I think it's it's become so intrinsic in the whole thing that a lot of young guys say it's almost like the same. You know, the moment that they buy a gym membership, you know, if, if they weren't there before they went to buy the gym membership, they have to go to a, the, the you know the supplement store immediately after they get the gym membership. You know, it's it's as it's as important as buying batteries for your radio. You know, like you can't have one with the other. And I think a lot of people actually think that. Oh, yeah. We've, we've talked about it many times. I've seen way too many people wasting way too much energy trying to micromanage their supplement intake and, and their exact diet and just not training hard. You know, you guys, it, meanwhile, I mean, first of all, listeners, you know, you're talking to some middle-aged guys here, some veteran kinds of people. So we might have a different opinion. I do think the, the one positive side would be that it could it could cause an element of excitement for a young guy or gal. They start training and they you know they feel like they're getting some almost uh, nutraceutical boost from the oh. way. Or so on for that sure. side, I can see how it, it could be fun and extra motivating. So I don't want to. I'm not down on dietary supplements per se. And I know Darren. You know, as a science person, you have to be neutral on these things. You know, what does the evidence yeah. say? But at the same time, um, not only have we been around the block a little bit, but I'm actually the smallest person on this podcast right now. <laughs> of the four of us, I weigh 217. All three of you guys are way <coughs> bigger than that. And you're doing it, you know, by not obsessing over every little milligram of, of branch chains, but instead, you know, trying to use supplements, with, which, which is what they're meant for, which is to supplement an already robust, well-designed diet. Exactly. And we've talked about it before. I mean, you can't ignore the placebo effect. Like you were talking about. They get excited. I had, I had a client come in here Monday morning. He said, Phil, I started the creatine. I was like, oh, great. I said, you probably won't notice anything for a month or so. And we start training. He's like, no, man, I can feel it pulsing through my veins right now. And I'm like, all right, roll with it. Go yeah. for it, buddy. Yeah, then roll with it. That, you know what? Yeah. Darren, you might know the, the, the author's names, but um, when I was teaching exercise phys, it was a class called Medical Aspects of Exercise, I think, last year. There's um, We were showing data out of the Catch and McArdle uh, ex-phys book. And it might have been one of the older editions, and they were showing how powerful a placebo effect is. They took young guys, college guys, and they led them to believe they were on anabolic steroids, mm -hmm. and they made outrageous gains. I mean, I couldn't believe the gains when they thought they were using, yeah. you know, yeah, compared to yeah. guys who who knew they were not. It was just amazing to me that that yeah. effect. You, you know, know that. That kind of goes to the whole thing we were talking last week about, pro, or the week before, about program design. You know, the the thing that the, the taught the thing that I keep coming up with you, the whole idea that if you believe in what you're doing enough, you'll get some benefit from it. And that kind of, kind of lends itself to that too. The whole idea that you're, you so strongly believe that you're doing something or taking something or, you know, ingesting something that's going to help that you actually almost forcibly will it to happen. Yeah. Right. Now, Darren, you had a comment there. Oh no, I, I was just going to, I was just going to agree with you guys. Um, and, and I was just going to, and I couldn't agree with that. Uh, that statement uh, uh, anymore, um, but I was going to say, I, <laughs> uh, I remember it's been, it's back in grad school when I was at A&M, and, you know, and I was still going in and banging and lifting and, you know, and just, 
um, you know, things really hadn't hadn't changed. You know, actually, I was I was actually enjoying it because I could go in and, you know, I could eat a little bit more liberally and just, you know, just just bang like hell and not necessarily have to worry about, you know, stressing about, you know, getting ready for a show or any of that type of stuff. So actually, it was, you know, of course, you know, and I was, you know, in school as well, so that was stressful enough. But anyway. There was this one particular guy, he just kept coming in, he, you know, he was getting into it, and he was wanting to try to, he, you know, he was, an, uh, uh, you know, aspiring to, to, to be, and and he just, he kept coming in, and I guess, you know, he just was just making the assumption, based on my size, that I was just going to be able to just hook him, set him straight up with, you know, with some, with a, with some anabolic steroids, and he kept just bugging me and bugging me and bugging me. You know, can you, you know, can you get me any? I kept trying to tell him. I said, dude, you know, dude, no. I said, one. I said, no. I, I, no. I, no. So, you know, it's, it's just not going to happen. He just, he just wouldn't let it go. So finally, finally, I said, you know what? I, I've, I've had enough of this. And so, I went to the grocery store and I bought, I bought a bottle of saccharin tablets. And, um, you know, that's back, you know, I don't even know if they even sell saccharin tablets anymore. Right, right, yeah. And, um, and I had, and, and had a buddy that I lifted with at the time who actually had recently finished a cycle and he had a bottle of, I don't know, Anavar. Yeah, it was that bottle of Anavar. So I put these saccharin tablets in this bottle of Anavar, you know, and being white for white. And so I, I told the guy, I said, okay, I scored you some stuff. <laughs> and told him how to cycle it, and over the course of time, and, and when he did that, he started coming into the gym, and he was going just gangbusters. <laughs> I've not yeah. seen a guy train this intensely up to this point at all. The and funny I, thing, there, Darren, is like you're... eight weeks. Eight weeks, the guy made unbelievable gains, <laughs> unbelievable gains, and then after, you know what? You're you're teaching him a lesson, and at yeah. the same time, you're helping his training. What it's, exactly? It's you know what? I wish I would have had a picture of his face when it was all said and done, and I told him that that you know he wasn't taking what he thought he was taking, and and when he you know when he finally you know when the uh, when the dazed and confused look disappeared from his face, I told him I said, "See, dude, I said that's what I've been telling you all along. You don't need that stuff to make great games. It's all you, you know." Are. Right? It, yeah. It was it, it was it was it was pretty dang funny. So. <laughs> Okay, goodness, we're gonna have to get rid of him. Yeah, we need to call this the saccharin effect in the future. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, let, let's just let's steer this back. I have a question for you because I, I'm curious about some of the scientific findings, and obviously stuff like whey protein and, and um, casein or creatine, things like this. Um, but on the training side, I mean, is there anything that really caught your interest over the years like satellite cell activation and or eccentric training or any anything on the training side that you think was interesting in the research side you know i would say probably the um, for me what's been somewhat interesting and it's been particularly in the last few years is um Actually, it is relative to some extent to the, you know, the, the myogenic activation piece, the satellite cell piece and, and such, but it, it has to do with differences in training volume and this notion of, um, time under tension. And I, and I guess here's the reason, you know, if you, if, if you look at the, you know, the, the, the periodization model and, you know, some of these different uh, constructs, you know, you, you get this notion that, okay, well, you know, if you train at this intensity in this rep range, that's that's for strength. If you train in a higher rep range, and you know, then that's for hypertrophy. You know, mm-hmm. I always used to say, um, okay, well, why is that? Because for most of my training career, so to speak, I mean, when I wasn't getting ready for a show, for the most part, I trained like powerlifter. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. You know, and of course, I got strong, but guess what? I got big, and guess what? I got thick. And, um, well, you know, you're preaching to the choir here. I'm sure people and Rob are both smiling at this. You know, it's this issue is that, you know, okay, well, strength training per se, you know, is not going to make you, you know, is not going to, it's going to make you strong, but it's not going to make you big and thick. Well, uh, I don't, you know, I've, so it's been those types of things that I've not, you know, I've really had a hard time, uh, trying to grasp and say, okay, well, what is it about, supposedly, what is it about doing, you know, reps of 12 to 15 at 70 to 75% of your max or whatever, you know, you're going to consider it to be, you know, relative to 
the rep continuum. I mean, what is it about that that, that supposedly makes the muscle Magically grow more grow. in size and less mm-hmm. so in strength, you know? And, and mm-hmm. so. Yeah, and, we were saying just the other week, you know, it's, it's almost impossible or it's a fool's errand again. That's my phrase for today, I guess. Yeah. To try to hypertrophy wildly without getting much, much stronger. You know, you simply do not become a bigger man unless you're playing with bigger poundages. Exactly. You know, exactly. You know, and the thing is, is that, (laughs) you know, anybody that's looked particularly back, for instance, like, let's say, you know, with Ronnie Coleman. You know, Ronnie Coleman is well known for, you know, kind of during his off-season time. This this guy trained with with insane poundages. You know, he did literally. He trained very, very much so like a powerlifter. And just heavy, 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 you know, low rep types of work and, and said, you know, this is the best way that I put on size and, um, relative to training. And so, you know, I, th- that being said is that, you know, I know that, you know, I know that that, that's been the same for, for a huge number of other individuals that I know as well. And so. Okay, Darren, very, let me put, let me, let me put you on the spot then because in a couple of weeks we're going to have Nick Bird on from Stu Phillips Lab and I'm going to ask, uh, him about what Stu and he and those guys, you know, all the talk they're doing about the lighter rep, like 20, yeah. 23 rep sets the, and muscle yeah, the, protein synthesis. What's your take on that? The, the 30, what is it? The 30, 30, 30% of the one RM to failure. Yes. Um, yes. Well, you know, they've done some, some nice elaborate work. They're seeing some of the, the results they have with, you know, with protein synthesis rates and so on and so forth. I guess my take on it is, is this, and, and again, this is me being a more of a practitioner, a scientist, but also being, you know, being a practitioner as well over the years, practicing all this stuff and going in the gym every day. Is it, if that really, really, really was that effective, then most people would be all jacked. <laughs> That's a good point, isn't it? Cross yeah. trainers would be way 270. <laughs> exactly. And here's the other, here's the other thing as well. And I, and I, and I have been, and I still consult, you know, co- on the collegiate level with strength and conditioning coaches is that there ain't no strength coach that's going to, you're not going to sell them that, you know, it, it, and I'm not saying that, that they're going to try to sell this, so to speak, quote unquote, but you know what I mean? No, no collegiate strength coach, particularly in football is going to say, um, I'm going to train my guys with 30% of their one rep max and we're going to get really, we're going to get really strong and we're going to get really powerful. Um, no, it ain't going to happen. I think it's a good example where you, you get some of these guys and I think, um, they get, if you're purely on the egghead side of science, you know, the data doesn't lie. Acute no. muscle protein synthesis is sky high and it might, might even look better than a higher percent, you know, uh, heavier, uh, rep scheme. But what what is science? It's observe and record. And when you've been around the field for a long time, someone like you or me or Rob or Phil or some of these strength coaches, they're like, listen, I've made enough observations of my own to know that even if you're seeing that in the lab, something counteracts it eventually in the you know time. What? It, it, you, know. It, you know what, Lonnie? Exactly. And my and I was gonna I was gonna comment on that and that is is that you know there are a number, and in, in also not only that, but with a lot of the, you know, the, the essential aminos and the branch chain amino acids and even some of the, the, the whey protein, some really wonderful, elegant studies, single bout studies. You know, you go in, you go into the lab and you have them, you know, you have them, you have them train once, maybe twice, and you see what happens around a short window of time after the exercise bout, okay? All right, the data is there. Stu has a wonderful track record in terms of being able to put out really, really, really good, elegant science. But the other thing is, is that you're exactly right. Does that mean, however, that you're going to get that same response over the course of time as the body as the body begins to adapt and, and acclimate to that training stress? Mm-hmm. Are you going? Is that going to translate into higher amounts of strength? Or even similar amounts of strength and maybe muscle gain over the course of a training period, say like eight, nine, ten, twelve, whatever weeks. Right. You know, that's I don't, you know, and that's one of my problems with, you know, and I've done a, a number of my own of the kind of single bout studies and, and stuff, and I like them. But the problem is, is that if you, you know, is that 
with practitioners and being able to make implications um, to how it may operate relative to an actual training program, we got to be real cautious because, you know, it's just a lot of times it doesn't equate very well. Right. In fact, I'll tell you, Nick and Stu themselves uh, have mentioned before that, for example, uh, we had uh, Nick on the show a while ago, and he's in Denmark right now. I don't know if you're listening, Nick, but um, that ibuprofen uh, acutely depresses muscle protein synthesis, apparently, but uh, overall, there, the homeostasis of it all, there's such a rebound that he said it might actually be anabolic in the long run, which, yeah. which is just really interesting because, again, like you said, you're looking at this window, and sometimes we got to expand this window. But you also mentioned cleverly, I think, early in the show, training studies, not just a biopsy at 24 hours or something like that, but also what happens over 12 weeks. Are these guys bigger or not? Exactly. Know? You so know, that makes me feel good as sort of a systemic physiologist because sometimes I talk to guys like like you, Darren, and I'm thinking I'm not molecular enough. The, the field has moved on to molecular. But let's face it, systemic physiology is still important to validate this stuff. Well, to be, to be honest, Lonnie, systemic physiology is still the crux of the field because, you know, we, you know, the um, the geeks can can do all they want in the lab, but you know if you can't take that gla- that data out of the lab and and apply it in a systemic and in, in the field and apply it in the field and see how it's going to actually work in 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 the intact organism or like I said in the course of a training program, then in my opinion it's a tad bit moot um, because yeah. if you can't apply it and if it's not able to be applied, then what good is it? Um, and, you know, you, but you also have to understand, I mean, you know, I am a practitioner, I'm an athlete, I'm also a coach, but I'm also a systemic physiologist, but I'm also a lab geek, too. Right. So, but at the same time, you know, I try, I try to look what, you know, I try to look inside the box for, to try to better understand, but then I try to then open the box up and see exactly how well it's going to apply. Right. So any listeners, before you get too hard on, you know, some of this of, oh, these scientists, first they say one thing, then they say another, and they don't know what's going on. It's like, listen, you know, when you look at something from a muscle biopsy and you get down in there to the biochemistry, like uh, Dr. Willoughby is saying, you look inside the cell, uh, those mechanisms are still important to understand because that's how we know how to manipulate them with different diet programs or dietary supplements. So the way I tell students is, it's imagine looking under the hood. You know, you want to look under the hood to see how all this works. Um and just because you see an effect happening over the next, you know, several hours, it doesn't mean that it's always going to be there, right? Homeostasis That's right. ruins a lot of the excitement, <laughs> I think, That's in right. healthy people. Because, right. you know, whether it's a dietary supplement or a timeline like we're talking about, the, the ability of a healthy body. And I, like in clinical nutrition, I've seen the opposite. Homeostasis does not rule. One system crashes and then another system crashes and then things start to go real bad. But in healthy bodies, boy, coming back to even keel – it ruins a lot of the excitement, I think, because you try to push the system real far. And it's like my old endocrine professor used to say, you can push the system so far, it, too hard, it'll balk. But if exactly. you nudge it, if you nudge it and you're patient, you can actually get progress in one direction, you know. Yeah. And, but, you know, not everybody is, uh, has the, um, the sober, mature outlook to be willing to wait for the, you know, the nudge. I guess. Exactly. You know the 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 other thing I think Lonnie you 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 um, alluded to it just a few minutes ago and and I I couldn't agree more and and I just want to expand on that a bit because I think a lot of times we even as scientists we lose sight of the fact that in many in many cases with these studies that involve you know blood draws and muscle biopsies particularly biopsies but also blood draws is that we never really know exactly many times what the optimum sampling time point is or, or what the sampling the, the the optimum sampling window of time in which some of these these mechanisms of occurrence may be happening all they are you know it's not like we're running ongoing video you know and, and we're videoing something so we're, we're catching everything in real time as to what's happening inside the muscle say after you know after exercise because with the biopsies or the bloods, they're taken at certain time points. So all we're doing is taking snapshots. 
And, yeah. and, and That's a good analogy. Yeah. And looking, looking what was going on in real time at 30 minutes post-exercise, one hour post-exercise, and so again, they're just snapshots. We we can't do anything like that in um, in real uh, per se in real time. Now, in 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 the case of like some of the stuff you know that like Stu is you know d- does where they can actually do, infuse, then you have the ability to look a bit more at, at real time. But the thing is, it's only being run for so long. You, right, you know, it the, doesn't run for days on end. That's right. right. The video camera's turned on for only just you know a relatively short period of time, and so. You know, as I said, that many times that's overlooked. And as I and as I said, we as scientists sometimes are just as guilty as any, or more guilty, because we should know better uh, than anybody else in knowing that. But yet, basing a lot of um, a lot of hardcore, perhaps facts or conclusions based on snapshots of data, and in some cases, that's all we have. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, and, and we're almost out of time, but I just wanted to make a quick point that uh, at least what you do with the biopsies or what I'll do with blood work, uh, at least this stuff is taken from the body at a snapshot in time. When you look at stuff that's in vitro, I, you know, now you're talking about when, when you put something in a di- muscle cell in a dish, now the cocktail, you know, the medium that that's in has such a huge impact. I've been he- hearing about stem cells and how the, the me- culture medium is all important about yeah. what these stem cells do, but the, I guess the point being is that uh, also there was a paper last week that apparently molecular crowding and how all these um, pathways bump into each other it completely changes the scenario in a lot of ways. So you know, at least what we're what we're doing is not purely in vitro. That's the stuff that I usually am, am wary about. Oh you know, yeah, because exactly. It's just so different. Yeah, but, that's you. Uh, you and me is what um, alike. I, I, and especially if there's some of these supplements that are that are being formulated and marketed, and the data that they're basing it on is purely in in vitro data, yeah. Um, you know, and specifically cell cell culture data, then I, I usually don't even give it a, a serious sniff, yeah. Um, because you know, at least at least in an animal model, you have something that's that's in in vivo in systemic. Um, but still, you know, it's, it's still a stretch, but nevertheless, the, the in vitro cell culture stuff is something that, that really people should be very careful of. I agree. Well, I think that was a good discussion. I, I, I mean, I think we've, uh, covered everything from a couple of, uh, key findings to the, the risk of reductionism, you know, with the molecular stuff, but <laughs> yeah. also the, the importance of it, right? So, um, I just wanted to say thanks because we're out of time, but thanks 10 times for being on, Darren. Oh, and you know what? I, Ten I times. enjoyed it and, and interacting with you guys. And any time, just Lonnie, just hit me up. I'm I'm happy to I'm happy to help out any time. I'll tell you, it would be fun. Maybe we'll bring you on on a, a specific topic uh, yeah. because I've said it again. Uh, or I'll say it again, listeners. Darren is the kind of guy. If you want to know the why behind something, like on a cell level, why do, is this happening? This is the guy to go to. So I, I'm sure we'll have you back on. Oh, I look forward to it. All right, sounds good. Well, yeah, thanks for being on, man. Thank you, guys. All right, thanks, guys. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the iradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. Hey, IronRadio.org listeners, this is Lonnie Lowry, and I'm just bringing you a sneak peek only for Iron Radio listeners at this point. If you Google CRC Press, Lowry, L-O-W-E-R-Y, and Protein, you can be some of the first people on the planet to see this book. It's specifically for strength athletes, everything on the safety of high-protein diets, the efficacy, 
the dosing, the types, practical applications and case studies. This is a textbook. It's not what I would call an industry book. This is not pseudoscience. This is the state of the art science. And if someone wants to critique you on your extra protein intake, this will be something you can hold up and say, this is what the liter literature says about stressed kidneys or bone loss or gout or dehydration or increased muscle mass over time or leanness or what types are best. This is the ultimate source in one place. Little disclosure here. I do make a single digit percentage of royalties on this book. It's such a low amount, however. Obviously, I've done it for that purpose. I did it because, like you, I want to have something I can hold up in one place that's modern literature instead of what a, perhaps a health educator might tell you about the benefits and the potential concerns, if there are any, on ample protein diets specific to a population like ours. Thank you. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.